Brain Injury Today is sponsored by the Washington State Traumatic Brain Injury Council and produced by Goal 17 Media, storytellers for the common good. I guess I was just able to sift out all the stuff like, okay, my son's not able to talk. My son's not able to do this. I mean, those are just things, but no matter what version of him is going to come out of this, I will love him with all of my heart and I will support him in whatever he needs. Hello and welcome to another episode of Brain Injury Today, your connection to the brain injury community. I'm your host, Deborah Crawley, Executive Director of the Brain Injury Alliance of Washington. And today I'm joined by Karen Kaisuka. Karen has a number of roles within the brain injury community, including the mother of a son who had a brain injury. She also has volunteered for years for the Washington State Traumatic Brain Injury Council and currently is the chairman of the council. Thank you, Karen, for your service to the community and thank you for taking time to be part of today's podcast. I'm very excited to have you on board. Thank you for having me. So let's chat a little just about your own personal journey as a parent of a a young person with a brain injury and also your advocacy within the Traumatic Brain Injury Council. So go for it, young lady. Thank you. It's nice to be called a young lady. I appreciate that. I like that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So my son, who is 23 years old now, almost 24, he um, unfortunately had a sports-related traumatic brain injury when he was 14 years old. Um, It was an emergency situation. He had emergency surgery. And, you know, he was miraculously saved by the incredible neurosurgeons and um, all of the all of doctors and staff that we were able to interact with really, really saved his life. Um, and we are lucky to live in a place that has incredible access mm-hmm. to um, trauma services at Harborview. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, and then he struggled for a long time. He had to learn how to walk and talk and all of those things. It was a long journey, but he was able to graduate from high school and even go to college. That's great. Yes. And, and a lot of what you said, I absolutely, I think folks who are listening, whether they're across the state in Washington, or we even have folks from out of state who are listening, it's a point of differentiation. You know, it is it's having Harborview Medical Center is our local trauma one. Um, folks come in from all over the state to receive services and um, you're, you're receiving the best and the journey starts. Um, Your son is doing quite well. And I know that's, you know, thank God. And, and I know you've been an advocate and he's been a strong, you know, wanting to be self-sufficient and really, I mean, he has to have been very motivated himself, right. To make this all happen. So prior to my eldest son, who incurred the traumatic brain injury at age 14, my middle son um, was diagnosed with autism. So I had been on the journey 
of um, special ed, special needs, needing different medical and behavioral and mental supports. So I kind of had a little bit of an entry into that. And I think the most important thing is that I had gone through a grieving process already that my son was not going to be who we thought that he was going to be. So we were able to already go through that process and that that grieving process that I think um, all parents go through when your child gets injured or something happens to them and you realize they're not going to be or have the potential that you thought they were going to have. So I'd kind of already gone through that part of the journey. So it was much easier for me to accept some of the things that were happening and move forward rather than sit in grief. That came later, but um, I was able to really engage a lot better. Um, Both of my kids are doing great, uh, the one with autism and the one with the traumatic brain injury. But I'm sure there are people who, when they see me run away because there's that scary mom, here she comes, good God. But um, I was there to get my children what they needed to be the best version of themselves Mm -hmm. and what they deserved. Mm -hmm. And that's why I, I went back to school to make this process better, to make programs more accessible, to make uh, things more smooth because I had to really pull things together. And, you know, we had the best of the best care. I will, I could never say anything about the care that we had, but I'll never forget when we were sitting at the table uh, for discharge at Seattle Children's um, in the rehab, inpatient rehab, they were telling us that he's met all of his goals and that that's all they can do. And they're going to now refer us for OT, PT, and speech. And I I just, I I couldn't believe it. You know, I I just couldn't believe this was happening because we received incredible care to that point. And then all of a sudden, it's like, okay, mom, here you go. Here's a white um, folder that says TBI on it. Good luck and let us know what we can do. But I looked around at the individual spaces who were around that table through my mm-hmm. tears, and I saw compassion and love and disappointment that they couldn't do more. And for that reason, I think it's really important that we keep on moving in a, in a direction to provide better services to people with TBI, because I don't want people to have that feeling when they leave the hospital. Yeah, I, I've heard what you have to say. We often talk about um, the cocoon of when you're in, yeah. in hospital, whether, and that applies to my folks who are e- both are pediatric and are adult. And honestly, you know, your son's injury occurred about 10 years ago. Okay. So you're, you're right at that cusp of where, you know, I joined this organization. We did not even have a pediatric program at the Brain Injury Alliance of Washington. And it was one of the first things that I was, you know, a low hanging fruit, little light bulb went off, didn't take a lot, but it was such an obvious because Mm -hmm. everything was directed over 18. And I said, well, what's going on with these kids? And the state supported it. You know, ultimately they supported it and said, yes, we see why you're doing this. And when I came on board, we had already passed the Lysette law. So it was a huge Mm -hmm. piece of kind of our advocacy. And we were thinking about it. But there was a disconnect. You talked about the 
that you had another child who you had already had that experiential of the grieving. I will say that is something we also hear a lot about parents. So how were you able to do that? I mean, it's really hard. We have a hard time finding counselors for families to help them understand it because it's grieving in a different way, right? It's not, you, you didn't lose anyone, you know, and, and finding folks who even understand that nuance of it's really, how can we find support for families through that process? Well, well, that's interesting. You asked me how, how did I do it? And I right. think um, it, it goes back to how I was raised. My mom was a special ed teacher when she was younger and there were always people around who just were this, that, or the other. And we didn't see them in any differently than we would see anyone else. Um, I feel like she did such a great job of advocating for my family um, growing up. And so being able to bear witness to real advocacy firsthand is something that not everyone has the opportunity to have. Um, I, I've seen a lot of people now that I work in healthcare who they're, they're brilliant, you know, both parents working, successful, but they, they don't have that advocacy piece. They don't know. It's not something that you are born with. It is learned. Mm -hmm. And I definitely feel like that there is a great way to teach that, but a lot of it, it's by experience. Mm -hmm. And I guess I was just able to sift out all the stuff like, okay, my son's not able to talk. My son's not able to do this. I mean, those are just things, but there he is. Yes, he's hooked up to a ventilator, but I see him and I love him. And no matter what version of him is going to come out of this, I will love him with all of my heart and I will support him in whatever he needs. And I do understand why that is so hard, but because I had already been through that process a bit, it was easier for me to be there for my older son. Um, so I'm grateful for that, for sure. But I, I definitely believe a lot in mentoring, being able to talk to somebody who has been through that process. And no matter how wonderful and compassionate the healthcare workers are or the social workers in the hospital, to be able to talk to somebody who's walked in those shoes, um, I, I was so, so lucky to have this lovely who had been through this process, come and sit down and talk with me at the Starbucks at Children's Hospital. And I knew that it was going to be okay because there was hope. Was that Desiree Douglas? Yes. Nice. Isn't so, she yeah, she's amazing. <laughs> and that's a group, um, Headstrong. Yes. A group of families who have experienced a brain injury, most of them traumatic brain injury, but not all acquire brain injuries too. Mm -hmm with their children and Desiree's son also had experienced an injury. She single-handedly, you know, established Headstrong, knew what her role and vision was. And it very much was peer-to-peer -peer for families. And then additionally for the young people, which it's a difficult time. They're at the cusp of their own lives too. I mean, right. So your son was either eighth or ninth grade, something like that, you know, really when they're just starting to 
think forward and move forward and the injuries occur. And the thing is with our, our kids who experience brain injuries, outcomes are very different, right? So um, I think the peer-to-peer, is there another family member? Is your own local hospital where anyone is at? You know, I think Harborview tries hard to make that happen. Children's even harder. I know the Brain Injury Alliance has had families who've reached out. We've connected to other families because one, you're not alone in that when this occurred, Karen, but I think what is beautiful is you're not alone in families who are willing to be that mentor and, and, you know, that Mm -hmm. peer to be able to say, Hey, I've been there. It's not just, yeah, I, I feel for what you're going through, but I felt what you are going through, right? I, I lived it. And, and that's, that's different. Um, I love that piece of learned advocacy. And I do think you are right in that it's something that unless you experience it or see it, it is something that doesn't always come natural. I like when you said that here comes that mother (laughs) (laughs) and however they ended that sentence. Uh, Yeah. Cause, um, my son had some, some learning difficulties as a young person too. very intense needs during his K-12 years, especially during his K-8. And I was that mother. But if you could think of a way, Karen, I'm going to put you on the spot because this just came to me. How do we transfer this knowledge? I think the most important thing is to um, acknowledge and respect that every journey is different. You're going to have different family members, a different family situation, um, different levels of education, Mm -hmm. uh, different levels of understanding of the healthcare system, the insurance, uh, social security, and all the public programs that are out there. So I think that the Brain Injury Association of Washington does a really good job of providing and holding those resources. And so I think that's one key part of it. Um, I think also something along the lines of a peer-to-peer mm-hmm. or a peer mentorship with parents. I think that's a, a great thing to do. I know that with HIPAA, that is a challenge. It is a big challenge. Just for folks listening, um, one of the uh, virtual opportunities that the Brain Injury Alliance has put together are our brain health and wellness classes. You don't have to answer today, but I'd love to look at doing a session for brain health and wellness on this whole piece of parental advocacy. You know, these are the non-medical, but these pieces that families and individuals say are really critical for them navigating this world of brain injury. I think you would be amazing. So I'm going to leave that on the table and we can talk about that one later. Thank you. I'd be honored to work with yeah, you. Yeah, I think it like would be that. amazing. We and, and we get and the thing that's great about the brain health and wellness classes being virtual is it really is folks from all over the state can participate. Yeah. And I think that's one of the gifts that very few have come from COVID nineteen for our community, but we are able to reach a lot of folks in different ways. And we look mm-hmm. forward to also being back to that in person opportunity too. Um, I do want to have a discussion with you as a parent of a young person uh, with a brain injury. Just elaborate a little bit on um, that role of the Traumatic Brain Injury Council for Washington State. 
which you have mm -hmm. uh, volunteered on. It is a volunteer governor appointed council. I was on the council myself for almost 10 years. Um, we overlapped for a portion of that time mm -hmm. and your role now and kind of how you got connected and all those pieces of it. Sure, I'll, I'll do my best to try and encapsulate what we do. Um, the TBI Council is basically composed of 25 members, which is a wonderful cross-section of individuals who are very passionate about TBI. Um, and in addition to that, it's, it's really fascinating because there are many of the state agencies have representatives that also comprise part of that 25. So as to what we do, we partner with stakeholders statewide to provide outreach, public awareness, and education. And uh, we find support groups across the state. And we're also um, do a lot of work with other stakeholders to help in the prevention of mm -hmm. TBI. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, you make recommendations to the state. And the Brain Injury Council is the only place these people from the state even come together to learn and understand and collaborate. Right. And um, as we were talking about what the council does, I think one of the very important things that we do is identify gaps. So if you look at it from the point of view of, in my world, it's called the patient, but the survivor or the caregiver, how do we come to them as opposed to yeah, we're here, you find us, right? So we're, we've developed um, pathways. So the goal of each pathway would be to identify key entry points for mm -hmm. caregivers mm -hmm. or the person with a TBI um, and to help find sustainable solutions to improve what we can to make their lives better. Because I'll tell you, one of the things that is so confusing, you're sitting there and um, you don't... I have no idea what a speech pathologist does. What are they going to do for me? Well, my person is um, speaking, so isn't that good enough? And until I actually worked in healthcare and was managing speech pathologists, I finally understood what a speech pathologist does and the extent of what they can do. Right. And I honestly had no idea. So being able to break those things down to the survivor and to their caregivers is so important. Yeah, I think, um, you know, there's almost a never ending of what would the scenarios be, but you're trying to put it into some context. You're trying to look at a pathway that will support as many as you can. I know the council and all of us working in brain injury are always thinking about those underserved, whether you're underserved because of uh, ethnicity or underserved because of geographic uh, area that you're living in. I mean, there are all those barriers that come in that we're always also thinking about, but ways for folks to get the information is, is always a, a top priority. Um, the whole pathway idea came to me because my niece, who was two years old at the time, mm -hmm. um, was diagnosed with neuroblastoma stage four. And so, and this was in Houston, Texas. And so we would often go to, um, every month, one, either my husband or, and one of the children, or I, and one of the other children would go to visit to support them. And when I went there, I couldn't believe how incredibly organized and orchestrated everything was. There was around the person, there was the clinical pathway, 
there's all this care pathway that surrounded not only the individual, but the siblings and the parents and the family. And I just thought we, we need this to be in not just cancer. So I think it's important to learn from how other people are doing things well. You can walk into any hospital in the country almost, and there would be these additional classes, additional supports, additional pieces Mm -hmm. in a, a cancer center. And really that's where brain health and wellness grew from. But I, I had the same revelation, Karen, and I truly believe that we will be, and we can be at that same level of service for our brain injury uh, community and family members. And I know we're kind of running out of time, but one of the things I said to you, I was going to ask at the beginning (laughs) of this, and I'm finally getting to, um, is that piece of moving from the pediatric world to the adult world? Because you've talked about systems, you've talked about hospitals, you've talked about, you know, all those services that are provided. And we see it a lot, but I'd love for you, as someone who's experienced the journey, to just chat about what worked, what didn't, what you were concerned about, what you'd love to see changed. I just think that's a, I think that's a, something that you can speak to. And I think our listeners will yeah. want to hear. Yeah. And um, I feel like this is a very individual question because each individual is going to come from a family has different needs mm-hmm. and has different abilities to connect with the community, has different history uh, with their providers, levels of confidence with the people that they know. And I will say that I, prior to working with the uh, TBI Council of Washington, I really to not understand how state agencies work. I really needed somebody to break down what is SSI, what is DDA, mm-hmm. all these things. How do well? How do I get that? And when do I get that? And there is no easy answer to mm-hmm. any of those things. It is overwhelming. And for the parents of some of a child with the TBI, thinking of, okay, to provide for this child for the rest of their life, what am I going to need? Mm-hmm. And we were. Um, I could only speak to our own journey. Absolutely. And we had really good health insurance. We didn't need long-term care. We didn't need all the services that are there. So I feel fortunate, but I feel like my job now is to find out all those services um, because we really have to break it down because even though I might work in one state agency and these are all the acronyms that we use and everyone knows everything about this, even in the next agency over, they have no idea. So breaking down these silos in a way to make them more understandable and digestible yeah. by the yeah. person who actually needs them is so by important. Users, yeah. yeah. And then also, as we had discussed before, looking to other groups, so I mentioned I'm a part of the autism community as well. And some of the programs and some of the conversations that are occurring in the autism community about that transition and about um, the services are really, really interesting. I, I'm really, sometimes I'm just a fly on the wall because we don't need those just yet with my son with autism, but I'm listening and I'm learning and the questions are being asked and answered. Mm-hmm. And um, I think the Arc of King County is doing a lovely job yeah, of really spearheading this. And Children's Hospital is um, really, really working with the community and University of Washington on helping to um, 
really guide these individuals. And I, I'm really impressed with the work they're doing and looking to that to better provide help for people with TBIs. Yeah, absolutely. Arca King County, Arca Washington, Seattle Children's, all of those are amazing organizations. And I'm making notes to myself. I learned so much. I get little notes from every podcast that I do about <laughs> things that we could be working on or things we need to delve into a little more and or places that we can partner with. And really, I, I, and I'll be very honest, like what we just talked about with um, services provided to, you know, I don't need to reinvent every wheel. There are a lot of great wheels out there. And there are many that are appropriate and applicable to the brain injury community. So I yeah, absolutely. And I think that, um, like you said, these just establishing these relationships and connections and, and understanding what everyone has in common is to make right. these people's lives better for who they are and not try and make them into anyone else for sure, but meet them where they're at and support them along the way. I think that we can do that. We can do this yeah. better than we have. And yep. I, I feel like we're lucky to have you guys working so hard with us. Thank you. And I appreciate that. And I love the phrase that you just said, meeting them where they're at, because whether it's the individual with a brain injury and whether they're a youth or an adult, or it's the mm -hmm. parents or grandparents or the children of an individual with brain injury, it's meeting someone where they're at and really trying to always at the core for us is to improve that quality of life and that journey for that individual and supporting the individual and their family. Karen, you have supported many individuals and their families today. I'm so grateful for you taking time. I know how busy you are. Karen is a busy gal. I mean, she's got so many things going on that really are pieces that she's doing to support multiple communities. So I want to publicly say thank you for all you do. You're your, you know, the brain injury community has benefited from all of your grace and education and personal advocacy. And as I said, all your work on behalf of brain injury survivors. Appreciate it. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Brain Injury Today. If you want to get in touch with Karen, you can find her information in the show notes for this episode. And always be sure to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Google, or Spotify so you never miss an episode. Love for you to give us a rating and share the podcast with your family and friends. And as always, you can find support by calling 877-824-1766 or visiting BIAWA.org. Remember, you are never alone. We want to support you. We want to hear from all of you. We hope that you are doing well during what is still some difficult times. And we look forward to the chance when we can all be together. Take care, everyone. <laughs>